And now we see that sin and moral failure continues again. And we could exclaim, it's happening again. In our passage today, the the history of Noah and his family moves from rainbows to shadows. Yet these passages are, are one of the many reasons I am convinced that the Word of God is the Word of God. Because its authors never cover up the sins of the saints. They don't sugarcoat things. They, they tell it flat out how it is, don't they? And this should really encourage you and me. If great men and women of God that are recorded in God's word can, can sin and yet God can still use them, then he can use you and me. We need to be honest and acknowledge that that we're far from perfect as Christians. But God always uses us in spite of ourselves, doesn't he? And in our passage this morning, God gives us three warnings. The first warning is found in, in Genesis 9, 18 to 21. And it's beware of failure after victory. In verse 18, the first part of verse 18, Moses, our writer of Genesis, lists out Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth, because they're now our main characters. And we come to a by-the-way clause. I thought that was bigger than what it was. We come to a by-the-way clause, and Ham was the father of Canaan. And this phrase is not meaningless. It's not just chucked in there, it's, it's quite the opposite. It paints the picture for the rest of the story. Verse 19 states that the whole earth was populated through Noah's sons. They were, they were fulfilling the commission of God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And everything seems to be going along fine when, until we read these tragic words. Verse 20 to 21. Noah began to make a bee a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. The process of making wine doesn't happen overnight. It takes years to, to plant a vineyard, for it to bear fruit, to gather the fruit, to press the juice, to ferment the juice into wine. And so there's quite a few steps here in in Noah's drunkenness. And some scholars try and excuse away Noah's behaviour, but they make a a desperate attempt. The, The crux of it is that he was drunk. He knew what he was doing. He sinned with his eyes wide open. Alcohol is something that's, that's a big part of our culture as Australians, isn't it? And I know that many of us would have differing opinions on, on what, um, what alcohol should mean to us. I mean, it has destructive effects in our society. It causes the breakdowns of relationships and families. But the Bible also speaks a lot about wine in, in favour of wine. It actually occurs over 200 times in our Bibles, in our English translations. 
And this less than extensive list is just some of the mentions. Wine is viewed as as one of God's gifts to mankind in Psalm 104, verse 15. Wine is symbolic of great blessing in Isaiah 25, 6. Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine at a wedding in John chapter 2. Jesus drank wine, and we can see that in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. And Jesus used wine in the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26, 29, and in Mark and Luke's gospel as well. And Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach's sake in 1 Timothy 5, 23. But the Bible also warns us about the dangers of alcohol as well. This, again, less than extensive list um, tells us about these these, um, dangers. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Drinking too much wine was, was offensive to people, dangerous to people and offensive to God. And you can see that in those verses as well. And drunkenness was especially reprehensible when it led to nakedness. The exposure of one's nakedness due to to drunkenness was not only publicly demeaning, but also incompatible with the presence of the living God. Habakkuk 2 verse 15. And the Bible speaks very harshly about allowing alcohol to control a person especially when it leads to drunkenness. Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, we must understand that, that alcohol is a problem in our society. But we also must understand what the Bible teaches on it as well. A standard for us to all remember that if, if something causes us to to sin or stumble, it is better to steer clear of it altogether. But on the other hand, it's, it's not our position to judge whether those who are Christians should continue to drink socially unless there is drunkenness involved. With alcohol, the Bible calls for moderation. With, with alcohol and many other things, it calls for moderation. If we do not use moderation, it's too easy for any good thing to, to control our lives, which is detrimental to our relationship with others and our relationship with God. That was a side note. Okay. Back to our story. Noah became drunk and he uncovered himself in his tent. Simply, he became drunk and became naked. He did the normal pass-out routine for drunkenness and discarded his clothes. There's a similarity here with Noah's sin and that of Adam and Eve. In Genesis 2.8, God planted a garden for man to enjoy. And here, in chapter 9... Noah plants a vineyard. 
And Noah's disgrace is similar to that of Adam and Eve's. Noah took of the fruit of his orchard and became naked. Adam and Eve took of the fruit of the garden and realised they were naked. So in Genesis 3, we see the effects of, of sin is to, seen in his nakedness. And when Noah and his family were introduced for the first time, Moses writes, Noah was a righteous man of God, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God in Genesis 6, 9. In the New Testament, Noah is called a, a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter 2, 5. He's also included in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. Noah was a great man of God, and if, if Noah can sin, then any one of us can. But the point of this story is, is not to say that, that just anyone can fall, but that all can fall. All have fallen. You see, the, the time when most of us uh, sort of relax a little bit is on the heels of great victory. Our tendency is to, to ease up when the conflict listen, lessens or the pressure lessens. And if it happened to Noah, it can happen to you and me. Whenever you feel as though things are going along really well in your relationship with God, beware. Stay humble. Continue to come back before the Lord. Because the Apostle Paul says... In, in 1 Corinthians 10.12 Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. See, we are very vulnerable people, folks. And every, capable, every Christian is capable of committing the most shocking of sins. That's why we desperately need the regular accountability of a relationship with God but also the accountability that comes with meeting together on a Sunday and throughout the week as well. We require a daily relationship with God in order to, to keep ourselves humble, to keep ourselves from falling, or for God to keep us from falling. This account even serves to, to remind us that even seasoned saints in the later years can fall. The Bible teaches again and again that godly people can be tripped up before the finish line. The former president of, of Multnomah Bible College, Dr. Joe Aldrich, has said, the enemy will wait 40 years, if necessary, to set a trap for you. Does this scare you? I admit it scares me. This means we must recognise that the greatest of all believers have weakness. The Christian is not a super saint. The pastor is not a super saint. The elders are not super saints. We are people saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. David reminded us last Sunday that all people have been given a measure of God's common grace. But we as Christians have been given a measure of God's salvific grace or, or grace that leads to salvation. 
And we should not presume upon that grace day by day. We should be relying on God's grace, not presuming upon it. Noah's sin reminds us that anyone can stumble into sin. But it also illustrates that if we fall, it has the potential to cause others to sin as well. So God warns us to beware of failure after, after victory and now he warns us of bewaring, be wary of gloating over the misfortune of others. In verse 22, <clears throat> we read that Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, this is more than just a an accidental glance or a, a peer through the curtain of, of his father's tent. It was more of a gaze with satisfaction, a, a longing gaze. And after he observed his father's nakedness, Ham went and told his brothers outside, Hey boys, go and check Noah out. Go and check Dad out. Ham's heart was intent on mocking his father and undermining his authority as a man of God. He did nothing to preserve his father's dignity. And on the contrary, he, he encouraged others to, to go and see this spectacle. And I'm inclined to think that what Ham has done here is worse than Noah's failing. But sin is sin in God's eyes, isn't it? And if there was a need to say something on a side note about alcohol, there's certainly a need to say something about looking at the nakedness, not of your father, but of anyone. The Bible is pretty clear on, on the use of alcohol, but on this sort of issue, sexual immorality, it is crystal clear that we should not look upon anyone aside from our husband or our, or our wife. That we should, in fact, flee from sexual immorality. And if, if there is a place that causes you to sin in this area, flee from it. Get out of it. Stay away from it altogether. Gentlemen, turn the computer off. Turn the channel, change the channel. Stay away from the place that causes you to sin. I want to ask you this morning, how do you, how do you respond to the sin and failings of others? Do you respond with, with a little sense of delight? or a sense of superiority, or by spreading the story further? Do you respond like Ham did? Let me show you how we should respond. Because sadly, most of us are far-sighted when it comes to sin. We can see everyone else's, but we fail to notice our own sin. We love to hear the stories of other people's failings, but... We don't want to point out our own. Flesh loves to hear about the scandal of, of the latest marriage on the rocks or, or an affair or a fallen Christian. 
Yet God wants us to grieve over the loss of, of people's relationship with him. How we respond to the sin and embarrassment and the falling of others is, is an indication of our own, own character. Galatians 6, 1-2 says that if any, anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, that's how we should respond, folks. And in the same way, Sham and Japheth they responded in a godly character way. They took a garment, they laid it upon their shoulders and they went in backwards and did not look upon the nakedness of their father. They covered him up. They restored his dignity. This is how we should respond. Not by gloating over others' failures. We're warned about being aware of, of failure after great victory and gloating over the misfortune of others and now we're warned about beware of the long-term consequences of sin. Verse 24 reads, When Noah awoke from his wine, he knew what his youngest son had done to him. I have no doubt that Noah was probably sitting on the edge of his bed his head thumping, ashamed of what he had done, but also ashamed of what his son had, had done. He may have found out about it through talking to Shem and Japheth. And in response to this, we see that the first words uttered by Noah were recorded by Noah. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Why does the sin, why does the curse fall upon Canaan? Remember that Canaan is the son of Ham. And Noah is, is kind of prophesying, because Ham is your father, because Ham is your dad and he behaved in this way, you are cursed. Canaan, you are cursed because Ham is your dad. It's also a warning to Ham that your son is going to treat you in the same way that you treated your father. Ham dishonoured Noah and, and fatherhood in general and so Canaan is cursed by having Ham as his father. Many are cursed because of their fathers, aren't they? Many men turn out to be like their fathers. And yet a little boy wants more than anything to be like his dad. In our day and age, that's either a good thing or a bad thing. And so this is a huge warning to us as men. Be reminded that, that we are examples 
to younger generations, to our sons and our sons' friends. Men, love your children. Esteem fatherhood. Be a godly example that that sons and daughters can look up to. As the youngest son wrongs his father, so the curse will fall on his youngest son, who inherits his moral decay. In addition to the Canaanites, Ham's descendants include some of Israel's most bitter enemies, Egypt, Philistia, Assyria and Babylon. You can see that in chapter 10. Ham's indiscretion towards his father may easily be seen as a a later type of behaviour of the descendants of Ham. And so Noah's curse on Canaan thus represents God's sentence on the sins of the Canaanites, which their father Ham had exemplified. Friends, this again warns us as adults that we are being an, an example to younger children, to the younger generations. Whether we be a good example or a bad example by a good example by the grace of God or a bad example. Our sin can cause others to sin. Our sin has long-term consequences. And in contrast to the curse upon Canaan, because of Shem and Japheth's, um, the way that they responded we see that that Noah gives a blessing to his other sons. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. You see, Noah is given a conviction that salvation one day would come through the line of Shem. And in due course, Jesus would be that salvation. He would be the one who, through whom the entire human, human race can be blessed. Japheth is, is to have extended territory. His line will not lead to the Messiah, but he will, he will have dwelling in the tents of, of Shem. The one person is pictured as taking shelter in, in the salvation with another. In the course of history, salvation would come through Jesus. And then abundant of, an abundance of Gentiles would come to salvation through this Jewish saviour. The people of Japheth were enlarged in their population and in their territory, but there was more involved here than just geological territorial expansion the gospel would come through a Jewish saviour and when he came salvation would be available for all people everywhere many of the people of of Japheth around the Mediterranean area would take shelter in this Jewish saviour as I close I want to talk to you, if you're feeling a little like like Noah or Ham this morning, if you're feeling as though there's a, there's a constant battle going on in your life with sin, be encouraged. 
But don't let Satan have another win in your life. There's three lies that Satan peddles to us as believers. The first one is that sin doesn't really matter. Just, it's all right. God will forgive you. You can control the consequences. When we have fallen, he gives us a second lie and he says, you've blown it. There's no more forgiveness for you. There's no use fighting anymore. In fact, if you've received forgiveness today, you might just commit the same sin tomorrow. So why bother? And once he has you there, there's a third lie. He says, now look what you've done. You've gone too far. You've hurt too many people. You've, your sin is too great to be forgiven. You're too wretched to be forgiven. When the devil has you there, you're stuck with the curse and so are your children. And sinners in each of us, folks, even if we have been saved, we still continue to battle with sin, to, to struggle with sin. even though we have been pronounced righteous by God's grace through Jesus' sacrifice. But it is only in Jesus that we can have continual forgiveness of sins. It is only in Jesus that we can have the Holy Spirit living inside of us as the mark of our salvation, guiding us to God rather than towards sin. Today is the day to repent of your sins. Today is the day that God wants you, God desires you to come back to him and ask for forgiveness so that he might give you new life with Jesus today. The first step is in acknowledging that, yes, I am a sinner. The second step is to acknowledge that tomorrow and the day after that, to continue to return to God and to repent of your sin and to receive the glorious riches that God has in store for us in salvation. If there's a need for you to to come this morning and, and be prayed for or to ask for forgiveness, I'm more than happy to pray with you after the service or, or even in the next song. I'm sure there's many others that would be happy to do that as well. Let's pray now. Father God, we, we want to praise you for the, the wonderful warnings that are in Genesis. But also, Lord, the wonderful blessings and and signs of blessings that are to come. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that is in Jesus and Jesus alone. We want to ask this morning for your continued forgiveness over our lives. Lord, that you would come and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we might turn away from sin that we might be drawn to you on a daily basis. Lord, that we would fly Jesus' Jesus' flag in our life 
through the grace of of God. Heavenly Father, if, if there are any here this morning who are in need of forgiveness, I pray that you would help us to recognise that and, and to be encouraged, but also to be humble and come before you this morning. Again, we thank you for the forgiveness and the new life that is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Dale. Well, in response, we're going to sing our final.